For the past few weeks, we've been exploring the big idea that God made each one of us on purpose. You are not an accident. No human being is an accident. There may be unplanned pregnancies, but there are no unplanned people because God has a purpose for each one of our lives. And this shouldn't surprise us because when we look at nature, it is so clear that God created everything on purpose. For example, God created fish to do what? To swim. And God created birds to do what? To fly. And God created mosquitoes to, <laughs> to bite. Somebody actually asked me this week, why did God make mosquitoes? And I said, I don't know. Maybe to annoy us. Maybe to give us an opportunity to build our character. I don't know why God made mosquitoes, but I believe this. God knows. And God knows exactly why he made you and me. In fact, the Bible's clear that there are five distinct purposes for our lives. And one of the other big ideas we've been exploring these last few weeks is this. You cannot accomplish God's purpose for your life alone. To accomplish God's purposes, you need God's what? God's Starts with the letter P, people. We need each other. And fundamentally, to accomplish God's purposes, we not only need God's people, we need God himself. And today, if you're somebody who's curious about Christianity, just checking out what it means to follow Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. And I hope this message will help answer some of your questions. Now, during the past few weeks, we've looked at several purposes that God has for us together. We've talked about worshiping together. We were just doing that, expressing our love to God. We talked about fellowshipping together, sharing our lives with each other. Last week, we talked about discipleship, the idea that we grow spiritually together. And today, we're going to explore this idea, serving together. So let's look at this Bible verse about service from the book of Ephesians. It says this, we are God's workmanship. Another translation says masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Notice this which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I believe this, that every single person on the face of this planet wants to make their life count for something. We want to know that, that we make a difference. And God says, if you want to make a difference with your life, then serve other people. In fact, God commands us as followers of Jesus to be involved in serving other people. And notice this, when God gives us a command, he enables us to carry out that command. Look at this verse from the book of Job. It says, your hands, Job is speaking to God, your hands, God, shaped me and made me. Now, I'd like to point out five things that God uses to shape us, and it forms the acronym SHAPE. And the first is this, spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts. Now, when you're a kid, what do you look forward to on your birthday? Gifts, presents. Now, the Bible says that when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you are born, what? Born again. You have this spiritual birth. And you might think of a spiritual gift in these terms. It's a spiritual birthday present. It's a gift that God giving to his children. And in the Bible, there are all kinds of spiritual gifts. For example, the gift of teaching, the gift of encouragement, the gift of administration, the gift of mercy. All of those are spiritual gifts that God gives you when you decide to follow Jesus. Now here's another, another way that God shapes us, our heart, our heart. And this is what you care about the most, what you love to do, the things that you are passionate about. Now, 
Isn't it true on Sunday morning, sometimes I'm speaking, and you are just fired up. I mean, you are ready to go because your heart resonates with what I'm teaching about. You're passionate about that. But is that always the case? No, because sometimes you're just kind of nodding and saying, yes, that's good, but I'm just not passionate about that. What you're passionate about is an indication of where God wants you to serve. So what's the letter S stand for? Spiritual gifts. H is what? Heart. And the A stands for abilities. And these are natural talents. We all have abilities. Some of you are, are um, gifted athletes. Some of you are good with music or with math or mechanical things. Some of you love to write. There's all these abilities. And whatever ability God has given you, he wants you to use that ability to serve others. So spiritual gifts, heart, abilities. The P is personality. How many of you have a personality? Okay. Yeah, we all do. Just how God's wired us. I mean, think about this. Some of you are extroverts, right? And you love being with people. When you're around people, you just draw all this energy from people. And some of you are way over here, and you are what? You're introverts, and you like to be alone because you just get worn out being around people all the time, and some of you are somewhere in between. That's a function of your personality. Or how about this? When you go on vacation, some of you have a schedule. Like every half hour, you know exactly what you're going to do. That's because you're structured. That's your personality. And some of you don't care what you're going to do next. You're just spontaneous. You know, whatever happens, we'll just go with the flow. And isn't it amazing how in marriage, God often brings people together who have somewhat opposite personalities. But your personality determines in large measure how you express your gifts and your abilities. And then there's the last letter, E, and that stands for experiences. And we've all had experiences in life. You had experiences growing up as a kid in your family. You've had experiences going to school. You've had experiences in the workplace. You've had spiritual experiences. And there's one category of experience that I think God uses in profound ways to shape us, and that's painful experiences. God never wastes the hurt in our lives. He uses those painful experiences to shape us into the people that he wants us to be. So we are a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. Each person is unique. However, your unique shape is designed not just to benefit you, but to benefit others. Take a look at this verse from 1 Peter. It says, each one should use whatever gift you have received to become rich and famous, to become the next American idol. What does it say? To serve others, to serve others. I remember when I started the series, I asked if, um, if you'd ever read the book by Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life. I know many of you have. Does anybody remember the first sentence of that book? It is the most countercultural sentence. It's not about you. It's not about you. God has gifted you and shaped you for the benefit of other people. And sometimes people will say this, well, you know, I don't mind serving God. I just don't want to serve people. Because people are a pain. I mean, it's just hard and frustrating. So I'll serve God. But here's the deal. You can't serve God unless you're willing to serve people. And there is a word for using your gifts to serve people in God's name. And that word is ministry. Now, what do you call somebody involved in ministry? Starts with the same letter. A minister. Now, we often have some misunderstandings about the word minister. When I say the word minister, you might think about the person that has that you know, special parking space at the hospital reserved for clergy. You know, they get to drive right up to the door. 
Or you might think of somebody who wears a robe or a collar or has the, the name, you know, Reverend so-and-so. But let me ask you this. How many ministers do we have at Boynton Beach Community Church? Yes, we do. Hundreds. Because sometimes people think, well, you know, the pastor or the staff or the other key leaders, they're the ministers. But the Bible says that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are by definition a minister because God's called you to use your gifts and abilities to serve others. And when you do that, you're involved in ministry. Now, here's something else to think about. Our life right now is preparation for what we will be doing in eternity. Do you realize that? That when we leave this world, when we go home to heaven, we're still going to serve. We're going to serve God. We're going to serve people. And so this life is getting us ready for what we will be doing for all eternity. Now, it's really intriguing to me that God doesn't just say, hey, go serve. He actually gives us a model. Someone to follow when it comes to living the life of a servant. And who do you think that person is? Yes, it is Jesus. Jesus comes to our world and he shows us what it means to live as a servant. In fact, look at this verse from Matthew chapter 20. Jesus says, your attitude, and that's where it starts, your attitude must be like my own. For I did not come to be served, but to do what? To serve. And so today we're going to look at what it means to serve like Jesus as we focus on this question. How can we learn to serve like Jesus? And first of all, serving like Jesus means being available. It means being available. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus is walking down the road and he's headed toward the city called Jericho and these blind men are on the side of the road and they start calling out to Jesus. And notice what Jesus does. This is in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus stopped. Jesus stopped and called them, what do you want me to do for you? Now notice that Jesus is on his way to Jericho and he stops. He allows himself to be interrupted. And so often when you read the accounts in the scripture of Jesus helping somebody, he's doing something else, he's going someplace else, and he stops what he's doing so that he can meet someone's needs. For example, there's a story when Jesus is in this house and he's teaching and it's just crowded. Nobody can find their way in and these four guys... They bring their crippled friend to Jesus on a mat and they can't get in the house so they go up on the roof and they dig a hole and they lower this guy in front of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? I mean, this is interrupting his teaching. Does he say, you know what, guys? The healing service is at 7 o'clock. Why don't you come back then? No. Jesus just heals this, this man who was brought by his friends. He allows himself to be interrupted. Or how about this? Jesus is, he's in the synagogue and he's teaching and it's really intense and he looks and he sees this guy that's got this crippled hand. And Jesus has compassion for this guy because in that culture, if you had a crippled hand, you probably couldn't work and take care of your family. And does Jesus say, listen, buddy, um, I really would like to do something to help you. I'd love to heal you, but it's the Sabbath day. And these religious leaders, man, it will cause an uproar if I do that. What does Jesus do? Yeah, he heals him. Jesus continually allows himself to be interrupted to meet the needs of people. So if we're going to serve like Jesus, what does that tell us? That we have to be willing to do the same thing. In fact, check out this verse in Proverbs. It says this, never tell your neighbors to wait until tomorrow if you can help them when? Now. Now. Servanthood begins when you make yourself available to help people now. But what is it 
that can keep us from doing that. I want to give you three common barriers to being available like Jesus. And this is the first. The first barrier is self-centeredness. Look at this verse from Philippians. Forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand. As we go through our day, God often puts people in our path that need help. People with needs. But so often this happens. We walk right past them. And in many ways, that's understandable because so many people are just trying to get through their own daily drill. They're just trying to keep their own head above water. And it's like we have this, this sign around our neck that says DND, do not disturb. And here's what we need to do if we're going to be available like Jesus. And I want you to understand that I think it's important to have a schedule. I think it's important to have things that you're trying to accomplish. Every day I have boxes that I need to check off and things that I need to do. And I get up in the morning and I pray about that. And I say, God, I, I feel like, you know, these are priorities that you want me to accomplish. But, but God, if, if you want to rearrange my schedule, if you want to bring somebody into my life that I need to stop and talk to or help, hey, I'm fine with that. And I just want to encourage you to have that kind of mindset of being available for God to use you. Now, here's the second barrier to serving others. And this one is really a lot more significant than many of us realize. The barrier of perfectionism. Perfectionism. Look at this verse from Ecclesiastes written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. If you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. Now, I think there's a very important distinction between these two words, perfection and excellence. Now, what is perfection? That's easy to define, right? When things are absolutely perfect. Do we live in a perfect world? No. Do we live with perfect people? No. Are we perfect people? Of course not. So is it possible for an imperfect servant to be excellent? And the answer is yes. Because here is a working definition of excellence. And church, this is a value that we have at Boynton Beach Community Church. We want to be an excellent church. We want to have an excellent ministry because here's what excellence is. It's doing the best that you can with whatever God gives you. The best that you can with whatever God gives you. Now, what often happens, though, is people look at themselves and say, you know, God hasn't given me that much because I'm not as smart as so-and-so, and I don't have as much talent as this other person, and you know, I just don't know that much about the Bible, and I don't have as much energy as this other person does. And what happens is we think that we've got all these limitations and that God could never really use us. The church realized this. God is not limited by our limitations. And this book is proof because when you read this book, God uses imperfect people, insecure people, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And think about, think about some of the people that are mentioned in the book. You've got Moses. He stuttered. Jacob was a liar. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Naomi was a widow. Jeremiah battled depression. Jonah ran from God. Noah got drunk. King David had an affair. Paul was a murderer. Peter was afraid to die. And Lazarus was dead. Did Jesus use Lazarus? Yeah. He raised him to life and he used him. So what does that tell us? That despite our, our weaknesses and our faults and our limitations, God can use us too. And church, this is, this is the absolute beauty of the gospel, that God can use people like you and me to accomplish his purposes. Because let me ask you this. Has anybody here ever failed? 
course we have. And the Bible says, look, we fail to love God the way that God calls us to love him. We fail to love our neighbor the way that God says love your neighbor. And the Bible has a word for that. And what is that word? Three letters with a big I in the middle. Sin. And sin separates us from a holy God. And because God is just, he has to punish every sin we've ever committed. That just punishment, according to the Bible, is for us to die and to be separated from God for how long? Forever. But God, those are two of my favorite words in the Bible, but God. But God loves us with this incredible love. And so Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, comes to our world and he lives the perfect life we could never live. And then, so that our relationship with God can be reconciled, so that we can be forgiven of our sins, he allows himself to be crucified. And on the cross, God takes our, our failure, our sin, and he puts it on Jesus, and he punishes Jesus instead of us. And then Jesus, having paid for our sins, is resurrected. He comes back to life, and he offers us a new life. And this new life that Jesus offers is accepted when we say, you know what, God, you're right. Man, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I believe Jesus died and rose again for me, and I want to follow him. Because, God, I need a new life. God, I want to have a life of purpose, and I understand you've given me this shape. And that's what Jesus says. Hey, come to me. I'll show you how to live a life of purpose by serving other people. So if we want to serve like Jesus, what's the first thing we have to be? It starts with the letter A. Available. And what keeps us from being available? Self-centeredness, perfectionism, and one more thing. Materialism. Materialism can keep us from serving the way Jesus did. In fact, this is what Jesus said in Luke 16. No servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Let me ask you this. Is there any cost in loving your neighbor? Does it take any time? Yeah, does it sometimes take money? to meet the needs of the people that God places in your path? Well, absolutely. And as a church, that's important for us to realize that if we're going to be a church full of servants, there is a need to dedicate financial resources to serve other people in our church, in our community, and even around the world. Because as Jesus said, you can't serve two masters. We need to serve him. So first of all, serving like Jesus means being available. And secondly, serving like Jesus means being compassionate having a heart of compassion. Look at this verse from Matthew 14. It says, When Jesus landed, he was in a boat. When he landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Let me give you a definition of compassion. Love in action. Compassion is love that actually does something to help another person. And if we're going to serve like Jesus, we need to have that kind of heart. I was sharing at first service that one of the things that my wife and I have renewed our commitment to do is to have something in our car whenever we encounter people in need. And this happens all the time in our communities, doesn't it? When you go off the ramp or get on the ramp of I-95 and there are people with signs. And sometimes we look at them and wonder what their story is. I often think about the fact that 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 man, that woman is somebody's child, made in the image of God, that God cares about what they're going through, and God wants me to care too. And I know there are a lot of things that we could talk about in terms of helping people, but the question to ask is, what, what's happening in my heart when I see somebody in need? Am I willing just to kind of 
kind of not look at them and, and hope they go away? Or is there something inside us that says, God, what do you want me to do to help? And one of the things that we've done here in our church, we've put together these hope bags. And I just want to encourage you to, to find a way to actually extend compassion. Um, Chris and I recently um, renewed our commitment to do this, and we have these bags in our car, and we, every day we leave, hey, are the bags in the car? Yeah, we got the bags. But we have things like socks and, and um, personal hygiene items and some food like granola bars. And we took that little Purpose Driven Life booklet from Rick Warren and put that in there as well. But God calls us to be a, a people who have compassionate hearts like Jesus. So if we want to serve like Jesus, what's the first thing we need to be? Available, what's the second? Compassionate, here's the third. Serving like Jesus means being humble, humble. Jesus said this in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. There was a guy who worked for a rather large organization and they gave him an award um, for being the most humble person in the entire company. And so he took that award and he put it on the wall of his office and his boss came in and took it down because he said, you're too proud of this award. Humility is something that's hard to get a handle on sometimes. Let me give you a definition. Humility, this is on your outline, humility is being honest about who you are. Being honest about who you are. Honest about your, your failures and your fears and your flaws. And the Bible says this in James, that God opposes the proud. Now, think about that. Do you want God to oppose you? No. We want God to help us. It says that God opposes the proud, but gives what to the humble? His grace. His grace. Now, let me point out several benefits of humility. The first is this. Humility helps us depend on God. It helps us depend on God. When you feel inadequate, when you feel overwhelmed, when you say, I can't do this, and you hit your knees, that's the very best place to be because humility enables us to depend on God. Here's another benefit of humility. Humility creates community. It creates community. Because when you focus on your strengths, when you go, you know, I, I got this. I'm good. You don't connect with other people. You try to do things all by yourself. And that doesn't create community. But when you realize, you know what? I don't know everything. I don't see everything. I have limitations. I have faults. I have flaws. When you admit that, not just to yourself but to other people, it creates community. It creates the opportunity to work together. And that's true not only in a church, but it's true in a marriage as well. And then here's the third benefit of humility. Humility maximizes our ministry. It maximizes our ministry. And here's why. When you're really honest about your fears, when you're honest about the things that, that have embarrassed you, your mistakes, that gives you more sympathy for other people, doesn't it? And the more sympathy that you have for people, the more you're going to be able to connect with them and minister to them. So humility actually maximizes our ministry. Listen to this quote. It's from a pastor. He said this, Your most effective ministry will come out of your deepest hurts. The things you're most embarrassed about, most ashamed of, and most reluctant to share are the very tools God can use most powerfully to heal others. Well, let me point out one final way to serve like Jesus. Serving like Jesus means being faithful. Serving like Jesus means being faithful. Listen to this story. A juggler driving to his next performance is stopped by the police. 
What are those machetes doing in your car? That's the cop. I, uh, I juggle them in my act. Oh, yes, yeah, says the doubtful cop. Let's see you do it. The juggler gets out and starts tossing and catching the knives. Another man driving by slows to watch. Wow, says the passerby. I'm glad I quit drinking. Look at the test they're given now. Your ministry assignment is a test of your faithfulness. Church, that's really important. Your ministry assignment by God is a test of your faithfulness. Jesus said this it's from John 17. He prayed this before he went to the cross. He said, Father, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Wouldn't it be great if we could pray that at the end of our life? Father, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work, the assignment that you gave me to do. And look at this next verse from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. One thing, the one thing required of servants is that they be what? Faithful. And Jesus modeled this for us. Jesus was faithful to the very end. He didn't give up. He didn't give in. He completed the assignment that God had given him. And I think about how in our American culture, so many people are focused on this idea of retirement. You know, I, just, I, I can't wait to get to a point where I can just retire, that I don't have to work anymore. Can I tell you something as a believer? You may retire from your job, but God never wants you to retire from ministry. He wants you to serve according to your gifts and abilities to the very end of your life, because that's why he made you the way that he did, and that is so important for us to realize. Friends, a commitment to faithfulness, a commitment to serve no matter what the cost, is a rare commodity in our culture. And that's why the, the Bible commends faithfulness so much. And, and let me say this, I know that, that ministry can be really hard. My wife and I have been involved in, in ministry for, for decades. And I know that many of you have been involved in serving others for many, many years. And the stories we could tell. Isn't that true? It is not easy. When God gives us an assignment, he doesn't say it'll be easy. He says, I will be with you. I will enable you to carry out the assignment. Because ministry can be really frustrating. Ministry can be really discouraging. But I'll tell you this. Ministry can be the most incredible source of joy in your life when you see God use you to make a difference and to change somebody else's heart. And so I want to encourage you with this verse. This is one of my favorite verses. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's from the Message Translation of the Bible. It says this, Throw yourselves into the work of the Master, confident, confident that nothing you do for Him, for Jesus, is a waste of time or effort. What a great thought. You know, during this series of messages, I've been encouraging you to take the next step as you live out God's purpose for your life. And one thing we put together this week, if you look inside your bulletin, is called the BBCC Ministry Menu. And we, we typically um, share this with people as they come through our membership class. I wanted you to have it this morning because there are a couple of things I want you to notice. First of all, this is organized according to the purposes that God has for the church and for us as individuals. Outreach, worship, fellowship, discipleship, service. 
And as you look at those different areas of service, some are in yellow. Do you see that? They're highlighted. And the reason they're highlighted is because we need people to serve in these areas right now. We have a lot of needs here in our church family. And so as you look at that, my hope, my prayer, is that you will make yourself available to serve. Especially if you're not involved in, in actively serving in a ministry in our church right now. And so what you can do, I mean, it may be that today, um, as you look through that, there's an area where you go, you know what, I could, I could step up and serve there. And, and just, just so we're, we're clear on, on this idea, I think this is really important. Your primary area of service is where you're gifted. It's where you're shaped. And that's just clear in Scripture. But there's another area of service in a church family. It's where you are needed. Because think about this. In your family, uh, is there a need for somebody to take out the trash? Do you have to have a particular gift to take out the trash? No. You kind of just all pitch in and, and help out. And so there are things in our church family where we just have a need and we need some people to step up and step into that need. And it might not be a long-term situation. It may not be your primary gift, but you could, you could do it. You could offer to serve there. That's something to consider. And so as you look at this list, um, you could write on your connection card, hey, I'd like to serve in this area of ministry. Um, at the end of the service, there's an information area, um, and someone will be there to talk with you. You could just drop that off there. You could go online. You can call the church office. You can talk to me and our staff, Pastor Phil, anybody, and let us know where you would like to serve. Well, church, right now, I'd like to do this. I'd like you to watch this brief video because it reminds us about not only the importance of serving as a volunteer, but the motivation for serving in God's family. Let's watch. To our volunteers, we thank you. You get up early, you're the last ones out the door, day or night. You serve to be a part of the bigger story that is unfolding. You play the role that only you can play. And it's a story that we're all writing together. You realize that serving is more than the task that you do. It's more than making coffee. It's more than cleaning, or playing an instrument, or working behind the scenes, or hosting a small group, more than hanging out with teens, or playing trains with a child, more than handshakes and warm smiles, more than singing a song or having a conversation. It's way more than that. You serve to build a church community that welcomes people wherever they are at. You serve to create a safe place to explore faith. You serve because God first served us. You serve as a way of life. You serve to show compassion and grace and love. You serve to show that there are second chances and to show that God does not give up on people. You don't serve for power, recognition, popularity, or applause. You give when it's not easy and sacrifice when it's hard. You have found joy when you put yourself second. You believe in a story bigger than yourself and a dream that only God can deliver on. What you do matters. It matters more than you often realize. Together we can do so much. Together we are used by God. And if you're not part of this story, we invite you in. And to all of our volunteers, we thank you. We honor you. We couldn't do church without you being the church. 
I'd like to just echo that, that thought. We couldn't do church without you being the church. And so for those of you who volunteer here at BBCC, thank you. We honor you. We're so thankful that you really do believe in a story that's bigger than any of us. And we wanted to do this just as a way of saying thank you. We have these water bottles, and they got some really cool stuff inside. So if you've served here, if you're currently serving, would you do this? Just get up out of your seat and come down and grab one of these water bottles as the music begins to play. And listen, don't be shy. Um, just come up and grab one of those water bottles right now. Let's do this together. Thank you. I told you we had a lot of ministers here. Church, can we do this? Can we show our appreciation for our church family? Can I ask you to bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, we are so thankful that Jesus came to our world to show us how to serve. And God, I thank you. We thank you for our volunteers who serve week in and week out, because it's true, Father, we couldn't do church without all of us being the church. And Father, help us remember that, that everything we do for you matters. Lord, when we get tired, when we get discouraged, when we think, man, this is hard, help us to remember that, Lord, you did the hard things for our benefit, and help us to be like you. God, I pray that those who are we're still on the sidelines, God, that you would move them onto the field so that they can know the joy of investing their lives and serving others. And God, we have received so much grace. Help us to extend that grace to others so that the world really will know what a great and awesome God you are. And Father, this morning, I pray for the person who maybe is, is just sensing that that you're tugging at their heart. They've, they've come to this place and they've thought about what it means to follow Jesus. They've never made a decision to really give their life to Christ. But Father, I pray that, that even now, this, this very day, they could begin the adventure of following Jesus by just saying this in their own words to you. God, I need you. God, I, I have failed in so many ways. I am a sinner and I need a Savior. And I know that his name is Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins and rose from the dead, and I just, I want to follow him. I want a new life, a life of meaning, a life of purpose. God, I know you always answer that prayer. And Lord, for those of us who have started this adventure of following Jesus, Lord, I think about the story of, of you calling Peter out of the boat and how he walked on water when he kept his eyes on you. God, you call us out of our our boats. You call us to do things for the kingdom, things that are important. Lord, things that will matter in eternity. And Lord, as you do that, you promise to meet us. And so Lord, as we sing this last song, help us to think about that. Help us to remember that the God who called us is the God who equips us and sustains us. Lord, make Boynton Beach Community Church a church where your name is made great 
as we serve you and serve others. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.